I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. Uh, for this episode, I have Two Lamp and Ronin Tactics back on the show. And for those of you who don't know, we're going to host some ringed blade seminars here in New York City in about two weeks. Uh, so two will be coming out here. And with the conversation that I had with two, we discussed uh, some of the techniques and some of the methodology behind uh, his blade training and it's interesting because it evolved over the course of his uh, special operations career um, where he trained overseas in different countries uh, and different styles of fighting. So uh, it's all interesting stuff, um, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, there was a shooting in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and a few cops were killed. So I would like to uh, send my condolences to the families of these cops Um Obviously, this has to stop. And for those who feel like, you know, they have issues with the way the police officers are treating them, then that is not the way to go about resolving it. That only makes the situation worse. You know, by doing that, you're going to put police officers on edge and really you're, you're going to make it worse for you know, the people who really feel like they're being treated unfairly because now the cops are going to feel like they're under constant threat. And and if you think about it, that's really not the best way to resolve it. It's just going to make things worse. So um, with that being said now, I'll get into the interview with Tulan from Runner Tactics. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, back on for this episode is Tulan from Runner Tactics. Tu, how's it going, brother? Hey, what's up, man? It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Cool, man. So... So we got we got a lot coming up. Um, two will be in New York City in about two weeks. Uh, we're hosting some ring blade training seminars. Uh, it'll be August sixth and August seventh. Uh, the first location will be at CrossFit Giant, which is in Edgewater, New Jersey. Uh, two. What what time are we running those? Uh, on the 6th, it's uh, 1 to 4, and then on the 7th, same time, uh, 1 to 4. So I, I'm running um, – actually, I'm running two seminars, uh, two sessions. On the 6th, I'm running uh, 1 to 4 for session 1, uh, and that session 1 actually is going to lead into session 2. So each session builds on each other, right, because I can't cover everything in, in three hour, uh, a three-hour seminar. So – the first session, uh, it's, it's going to cover, you know, your body movement, your individual body movements, um, and how it correlates to your opponent, um, how to read your opponent and, uh, and, and matches speed, uh, empty hand techniques, center and off center line attacks. And then I'll go into the saber and reinforce saber position and the, the blade position. Um, that that's the first session that's three hours long. And then the second session, uh, it's we're going to take a, uh, an hour break, and it's going to lead into the second session. 
And all the times are on on the internet uh, at www.ronintactics.com. So you can kind of sign up for it now and, and read uh, the details. But the second session, it's uh, it moves into breaching uh, and closing that distance, um, trapping techniques, uh, a lot of foot movements, and how to move off center line um, and control over your opponent, even with the throws and uh, the joint manipulations. Uh, and then we'll go into the pick or pummel position uh, into the reinforced pick attacks. So th- it's pretty much not just like, you know, take the blade and, and, and swing it this way. It's also movement as well and, and how to think about how you're going to move and try and predict the your opponent's movement and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's it's. I'm going to teach a lot of like uh, techniques um, on, on how to employ the blade because – just like the hands, right? Empty hands, the, the hands, the feet and everything, we're, we're human, right? We have two arms and two legs and a head. So we can only move a certain way. You know, the body naturally moves a certain way. There's distance. So you have to understand how to breach the distance, uh, the, lethal out, the lethality in each one of the distance, right? So you have to read your opponent really fast and then to close in and kill the distance off of the length of your blade, um, and, and employ it uh, effectively. So that's where a lot of the movements are going to come into to play. So a lot of it's a um, teaching you technique, reinforcing the technique through uh, a lot of um, training, uh, sparring with your uh, your partner uh, in the in the the movements of the blade, but then also getting to understand yourself. I move the blade differently uh, because the length of my arms are, are, are maybe longer or shorter. I'm taller or shorter, you know what I mean? More athletic or not, you know? So a lot of that comes into play. So you have to understand how the blade is going to work in coalition to your body. And you're going to learn a lot about uh, your individuality and how you're going to employ the blade as an individual. You know, so um, it's a lot of learning and and usually these classes, they um, they get, you know, a lot of people get saturated with information. So they're um, and it's just not about, you know, hand to hand or blade is it's a lot of philosophy uh, and history uh, behind it. And that's one of the, the key points of martial arts um, is not only are you learning the art itself. And the or, or the different styles that you're you're picking up on, but you're also learning about yourself, like you said. Like you learn, you know, can you cover this type of distance in this time? You know, can you move off center line and strike at the same? You know, in, in a fluid motion, and 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 that's and it all it all relates to to physical activity. You know, even working out, you know, like you kind of you learn about yourself and you you kind of learn where your limits are. And I think that can help you grow as an individual. That's right, man. You know, and a lot of these movements, uh, they're just natural movements, you know. So, you know, I see a lot of um, other blade instructors out there or hand to hand combatives instructors and and they go full on. You know, that's to any student who studied jujitsu. Uh, will understand you don't, you don't ever attack full on. You can't go 100% all the time. Otherwise, you'll burn yourself out. I don't care how physically fit you are. Look at the UFC fighters. You know what I mean? If they go full on, 
uh, they're going to burn themselves out. So, you know, we, we teach proper uh, method, right? Pro- proper form. And proper form is not, hey, this is a style. This is, this is the way, this is the way to be rigid. And this is the way, to, the, this is the only way. No, proper form. John, what, what do you think the definition of proper form is, man? Well, when I think of proper form, you know, you can, you can, I can relate that, you know, because I have a fitness background. So I'll talk a little about fitness. Um, you know, when we're doing calisthenics, the proper form would be to, you know, if you're doing a pull up, let's say, you want to pull the pull up to your chin is at the bar, and then pull down and and break a and break what we call the L in your arm shape. So you don't want to go fully all the way down, but you want to break that L shape. And to me, that's a proper form for a pull up. But if you want to talk tactics, if you want to talk blade, uh, and and the reason I'm going to say this is because when I went out. To, uh, to visit you in Colorado, I saw how you were moving with the blade or, or with a pistol, and it was very fluid. So I would think, you know, fluidity is, is big when you're talking uh, knife fighting, when you're talking gun fighting. And I know that's something that you're very big on uh, when it comes to that. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and you hit it right on, uh, right on. Because proper form... And it, it, it changes with each individual, right? So what proper form in me could be different from somebody else. But proper form, uh, in, in my own words, is you know a manner to accomplish a, a purpose, a performance um, with minimum or, or any loss of motion, right? So uh, if I'm going to strike you, I'm not going to go around and hit you, at, you know what I mean, where the distance is long. It's going to hit you at the most direct angle um, that I'm going to hit you at with the minimal amount of energy uh, in my body. I'm going to generate the power through my core, through my body, my inner, uh, my inner strength. Right. So, you know, when, when we talk about different martial artists in the past, Bruce Lee talks about releasing uh, the energy from his core. Well, the same thing, you know, when it comes to gunfighting, knife fighting or hand to hand, you know, I, I don't generate the, the power by moving my fists at an awkward angle. It's going to hit you directly. I'm going to generate that power through my core, my body. You know what I mean? So um, so that's really like what I'm talking about with proper form. You know, when, when guys go at you 100%, well, first it produces two issues. First, it will tire out the, the guy who's going 100%. Second, it opens up a lot of uh, gaps. If you uh, study any form of jiu-jitsu, either Brazilian or Japanese jiu-jitsu, any form uh, that you overextend, if you overexert yourself, a guy that's more fluid is going to take up that space. And once he takes up that space, he's going to hit you at an awkward angle that's going to put you down. You know what I mean? So I apply that methodology to my knife fighting. And, uh, and, you know, my knife fighting is not like a, hey, I, I, I seeked out this one guy. Uh, it was an evolution of my life. It was an evolution that started when I was young. Um, and then when I was a child learning the martial arts um, and then going into special operations where I was exposed to 27 different countries and then actually living with the indige and learning their 
fighting philosophy, you know, and, and that's what I found with a lot of uh, my teammates is, you know, when they go in country, they're there for, you know, either combat operations or doing FID or, or, or UW missions. So they're kind of teaching a lot of foreigners. Well, I, I kind of took a different approach. Yeah, I would teach. But when I'm living with these indigenous, I would learn as much as I can because I'm I'm grasping information as much as I can. Right. Yeah. So uh, when when it first started, because um, I, I get. I have a lot of questions on, hey, what what style are you or what form? I don't believe in a style. I don't believe in a form, you know, uh, a styles and no styles, right? So I believe in individuality, right? I believe in uh, as an individual, I'm going to express uh, how I'm going to, to uh, either articulate or execute a movement. And each person expresses uh, differently. Right. So when it first started, um, I, I started in the Philippines. I was down in um, the southern regions of the Philippines and I linked up with a, a night fighter. And if you ever anybody who's ever been to Philippines understand, like they're known for uh, sticks and knives. Right. Um, so I started I studied uh, Kali and um, uh, the art of Arnis and a lot of these movements kind of changed my philosophy because up until then I was stationed, I was stationed in Japan. So I was very, I believe in being fluid and I believe in closing in the gap, but it was more of a jujitsu, uh, Muay Thai striker base. So I, I believe in a lot of the power and just rogue strength. Um, but this guy was able to breach into, um, where I generated my power. So he passed where I generated my power. If you think about like a whip, right? So when you whip something, where's the, where's the power? Right. It'll be at the end of the whip. Right. You know, so, it. right. So you think about a, a, a punch, the power is at the end of the punch, right? So that's where you snap the punch. If it's hook, if it's a cross, if it's a jab, it's the end of the punch. But if I'm able to breach inside, right, to close in on you and where I eliminate, where I avoid the end of your whip, then I can start manipulating things. Then I can start closing in and and and, and changing up uh, angles. Um, so if you think about, you know, a lot of things, you, you shouldn't concentrate on this is it this is this this is the solution maybe if you want to study an art or a tradition like you know if you want to study um hop keto uh from korea and you want to study you know the buddhism behind it and the culture then i'm all about that you know but if you really want to find who you truly are and employ lethality and fluid uh, you're going to have to find the answer yourself. Yeah, tap into different resources, but you're going to have to be an individual and sort out the answers yourself. So to go back, uh, I, I studied the, you know, the Kali, and I studied the uh, Karabit blade. Um, you know what the Karabit blade is, John? Um, it, yeah, it, not off the top of the head, but it, it definitely rings a bell. Uh, can you explain it? Yeah, so the... The Karabit blade is a is a curved 
is a cur- curved okay. blade. Yeah. It almost looks like an eagle's claw. And at the end of it, um, you have a ring, right? So I was learning that. I I liked the concept of uh, redirecting force and closing in and, and moving like water and striking with fire, the element of fire. But the blade itself, the, the physical structure of the blade, I did not like it. Um, because up until then I was a straight, uh, if you think about a, a straight blade, you know, normal, a normal tactical blade or a, a normal blade with no ring. Right. So I was majority of my knife attacks in the special forces, uh, training was straight on. It, it was a precision shot to a, a kill shot to an artery or, uh, a jugular or, or whatever I was going for the kill shot and the karate blade because it's contour like an eagle's claw i actually had to change my attack angles and punch um and then actually punch off center line to where i really want to hit them at in order for the blade to penetrate and it 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 changes with the length of the blade or the contour of the blade or the curve curvature of the blade so um, I wasn't really sold on the blade. I was sold on the methodology. It wasn't until when I went to Indonesia uh, when I started studying the art of Salat. And Salat is really a violent art um, of jamming and, and, and breaking certain joints. But it, it also applies the movement of Kali and how it, it closes the gap. And, you know, a, a lot of my methodology drives from, you know, uh, JKD, um, you know, JKD, you know, when Bruce Lee started JKD, it, it was no, you know, it was a bunch of different backgrounds. You know, if you think about, you know, hearing Bruce Lee and hearing him talk in the past, it was a, a, a bunch of different uh, styles that he made himself. Right. And, and he formed into his own individual expression of who he is. And um, so I, if you take that philosophy, right, and then take uh, certain aspects of martial arts, you know, so I, I, I took Kali, I took Salat, Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, uh, a little bit of uh, Aikido, um, and then the, the basic blade, uh, you know, techniques. And then I was able to morph it into my expression and employment of the blade. You know, I think that's what makes what made Bruce Lee so ahead of his time was that he, you know, he saw like the the traditional martial arts uh, tournaments that were going on at the time and the way that the martial arts were taught, you know, in China and in the United States. And I think that's what really made him revolutionary was his ability to combine all these different styles and and then to further say you know, later on in his life to say that there is no style. You know, I have the style of no style. And he basically just borrowed bits and pieces from different martial arts. And I thought it was very interesting. And he pretty much changed the way that the martial arts tournaments took place, uh, at least in the, in the Western world, you know. And um, and just to go back to what you said about <clears throat> not, uh, not wasting energy on movements, um, you know, when you said that, what I thought of was uh, recently, you know, a very legendary basketball player by the name of Tim Duncan retired. And he's considered by many to be the greatest power forward and, and 
you know, that's one of the, the, the bigger positions in basketball of all time. And if you ever, if anyone watches Tim Duncan play, what you'll notice about him is that he doesn't waste uh, any energy. Like he, everything he does is very precise. Um, you know, he'll only run if he needs to. He'll only jump if he. You know what I mean? And and that's that's kind of been one of the the staples of his career. You know, for the past twenty years or so. And so when you said that, I immediately thought of Tim Duncan. And then uh, thinking about being fluid and being loose, and then you know striking, and your strike will be at the end. I, I remember as a kid, I used to play baseball, and at the time. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. was a, a, a major star in baseball. He was, you know, a great defender, and he was also great uh, hitting. And one thing he said in this interview, because he was, he has like a signature um, batting stance. It was very fluid. It was very smooth, but he hit a lot of home runs. So he had this interview, and he was talking about how when he's up at the plate, he's very loose, and he's very... Uh, relaxed and then when the ball comes and he doesn't think about swing swinging hard right but once the ball comes he just moves the bat and as he's swinging he picks up speed and that's how he he's able to be a successful hitter and I I tried to take that concept and I think it was like two weeks after I saw that interview I started hitting a bunch of home runs for my age group you know we I think I was like 14 at the time and it, it always stuck with me um, you know, that, that kind of philosophy of movement. So when you said that, it just, you know, it reminded me of that. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and when it comes to fighting, um, you know, you use a lot of concealment, right? So if you look at the, the, the way that your, your, your eyes process things, right? The way that you as an individual process data, right? So, you know, when we're, when we're talking about speed, and how to generate speed um, to interact to your opponent. If the, the human body process one focal point, right? So you when you look at something, you have to look at one object, right? Yeah, everything else is blurry, but if you really want to focus on it, the, the eye actually picks up one uh, thing within that focal point and everything becomes crystal clear at that one focal point. But yet everything else is blurry. So if you look at an object right now on your desk or what, whatnot and really focus on that object, well, that becomes crystal clear and everything else becomes blurry. Well, think about how you process in a fight, right? You're going to look at me. I'm going to become semi-clear. But when I hit you at different angles, I'm coming in at those blind areas. When, when I say blind areas, those blurry areas, right? So it's going to slow your time to process things. Uh, when I, when I say that, if I come to you at your, if you're looking at me and you're focusing on, let's say my right hand, and then I punch you with my right hand, you're going to have time to, to probably react to that because you anticipated that. But if you're looking at my right hand and I hit you with a left, right? Well, you'd anticipate that because that is actually uh, a blurred area, right? So in the process of being a martial artist, uh, being a professional soldier, I trained myself to process uh, blurred areas, right? I trained myself to to process things and read things within these blurred areas. So if you take your hand and you move it to the right, 
or move it up and down, those areas when the when when it start becoming blurry, that's when you start processing it. That's when you you try to to build a re- reaction to that area. So if you if I look at your right hand, right, and you throw a left, well, because I'm able to process those blurry areas, I'm able to react faster, right? So that's another um, point to to uh, the methodology behind blade fighting and stuff like that. I conceal my blade. And I hit you at different angles with foot movements coming off center line. That's going to take your arsenal out. So if I stand in front of you, that's 100%, right? So if I stand in front of you, you can hit me with your left and right. You can kick me with your left and right leg. You can headbutt me. But if I move one step to the right or left, then if you divide the body in half, let's say I moved left, then I cut your body in half, you know? So all I have to really worry about when I'm breaching in is your left side, right? So it, you think about it like that, you know, so you have to divide the body, you have to process blurry areas and you have to hit when you attack, you have to hit them at angles that takes a little longer for them to process. Right. And, and that's, that's really the methodology behind a lot of my, my fighting gun fighting or whatnot. The three things that matter in any fight is uh, when, when, and I picked this up during uh, counterterrorist training, is surprise, speed, and violence of action, right? Surprise, you know, I have a ring blade, right? And I can extend this ring blade and I can hit you from a reverse side. Surprise that this ring blade is concealed at a pick position and you don't know the length of my ring blade. If you think about that story, remember John, that, that story, uh, Masashi Miyamoto, when he fought the long, the, the, the samurai with the long sword. Yeah. And he, he took a wooden org and basically hit him with a, a wooden org, uh, and won the fight. Right. Yeah. Well, it's predictable because when you, when you think about the long sword, he knew Masashi, he knew the length of the longsword. He knew the length. He also knew at this time on the beach when he was going to kill his opponent that the sun was going to be to his back. Right? So that's taking advantage of the element of surprise. He cut the org that was a little bit longer than the longsword because the, the samurai didn't know the length of that org. He didn't, he didn't know. Right? So when he struck, Misashi knew the distance that he needed to stand in order to avoid uh, getting slashed. And then he struck him back with an org. And how he held that was uh, was pretty tactical because he, he actually held and exposed only the handle. And when he struck down his opponent, uh, he hit him with the element of surprise, right? Because the guy misjudged the distance of the org. And and that's where the element of surprise going. You, you think about you know being a, a professional soldier. Surprise! I free fall in your country. I'm going to shoot you with a high caliber rifle. Uh, uh, you know suppressed. You know I mean so under night vision. So the the whole thing is the element of surprise. You want to hold on to that as long as you can, right? And it's it's pretty. Uh, it, it's crazy when you employ the element of surprise and then they. When you hit them, 
because they don't expect it, right? Surprise, I'm going to hit you at different angles. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to close in. I'm going to, I'm going to take away half your arsenal through my foot movements, you know, or whatnot. If you come at me 100%, surprise, I'm going to feel your energy. I'm going to redirect it. I'm going to hit you uh, once I get in because any one of my students understand I flow like water. I believe in flowing and responding like water. You know, water hits an object and what? It goes around it, right? It looks for the, yeah. the most direct route and with without uh, uh, overexposing his energy, right? So when I employ my techniques, I flow like water. And when I find an opening, I'm going to hit you with the element of fire. I, I'm going to hit you with everything I have generating energy from my core with pure hate, right? I'm going to drive that blade through you. And, um, and that's the element of violence, and, you know, so you have to employ that element of violence. You know, if you're going to take somebody's life, you're going to have to employ the element of, of violence. But in order for you to close in, you're going to have to understand that element of speed. Speed, not, not um, uh, what I want to say, premature speed, right? Or, um, you know, just employing, you know, element of speed out of there. No, reading your opponent, stepping off center and closing in employing that element of speed and then strike them once you find the opening. And it's really weird because you think about like a, um, a professional, I don't know, uh, motorcycle or, you know, a, a guy on a motorcycle, right? When he first started, what did he see? He sees what's in focus, right? Um, and then the longer you drive it or the longer you ride a, a motorcycle, what happens? You know, things start opening up. You're able to process the blurry areas, right? You're able to process, hey, there's a car on the right. I can't go there, right? So, and that's really a martial art, man. You know what I mean? When, when I say process these areas, process speed, okay, hey, you see a car coming at you, right? You know he's going at this speed. It behooves you not to probably go into in front of him. But then – the same time, if this car is going at a different speed, maybe slower, maybe you know off the timing that you can go into that lane and hit your your exit or whatnot. It's the same thing with martial art. You have to start off slow first, right, in order to understand and process the data. And then as you advance on, you're able to process this data a whole lot faster, you know. So when you talk about like training the blurred areas, um, you know, like like I said earlier, you know, when I when I was out in Colorado and I saw the way you were flowing, and and then I noticed that you have the same philosophy for, you know, handling a gun or you know handling a rifle, handling a blade. Is that is that like a similar philosophy? You know, like w without, you know, giving away too much information or if you could even talk about it, like if you're entering a room, you know, you you kind of have to like like you have your your sector of the room that you're going to secure. But at the same time, you know, if you enter a room and you, you're supposed to go off to the left and there's a guy on the right, I'm sure you guys have some type of methodology to where you can get that guy, you know, even though he's in your peripherals. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because in CQB, um, when when I first started uh, my training in counterterrorism, um, in close quarters combat, when we enter an explosive breach and we enter a room, each one of us uh, as um, as a guy on the teams, we we move 
move uh, in a certain point in the room, right? So there's there's going to be times where the guy should have gone left when he went right, right? So it, you know, because um, things happen, right? Combat, um, people freeze, whatnot. But as a senior guy, as a martial artist, uh, as a commando, uh, you have to be able to process that data and like water move. So if he goes, he should have gone right and he gone left. Well, guess what? You're able to process that data and you go right. You know what I mean? So picking up those gaps uh, when it needs to be picked up, it's the same with fighting. If you throw a punch and let's say I parry that punch and you throw another punch, well, you leave the opening because I parry that punch. I'm going to either block or I'm going to expose that opening you know what i mean uh and your timing uh will go into a lot of play so your ability to process that data uh will greatly affect the outcome um of you know when when you're fighting against an opponent yeah so it's interesting like so basically the the class is going to be a culmination of all of your experience um and and like you said you know, it's it's information intensive, so you like to break it up into sessions. Um, and and so, do you have like people who are consistently training in, in with your kind of philosophy? And and then, is it open for people to add their own knowledge of information? Like like you know, like like you can train somebody. Uh, you know, what we we've discussed this on previous podcasts where. You said, you know, you can go in a country and, and, and kill a bunch of people and leave, but what are you leaving the people with? And then, you know, what's just like the, a cornerstone of, of Army Special Forces uh, mission is to go in and, and train people so that they're they're good on their own and, and they can learn and, and apply things on their own. Right. You know, and that's that's the, the biggest thing is I'm going to teach you how to be an individual, how to express yourself. Right. Because you you can only express yourself a certain way if you really don't understand. Right. And knowledge is power. And through education comes understanding. When you process data, right, the way I process data is maybe different the way you process data, because maybe I experienced a whole lot more uh, in different countries. Right. So I have seen a lot. You know, I employed a blade under night vision. I employed a blade in limited light. I employed a blade, a hawk, whatever. You know what I mean? For an average civilian, well, majority of my students never employed a blade. They never had to, you know. So you could take two approach. You could say, all right, hey, you know what? I like two's philosophy and I'm going to try to mimic it. And that's actually the first step, right? You want to mimic a instructor because you only know what you know. Right. So you have to understand the philosophy behind it first. The individuality comes later. Right. The individuality comes where I can't move like that. I, you know, I can't get on my knees like that to to trip him. I can't you know, I mean, I can't get behind him that fast because I'm too big, you know, Um, that's that's and that is that's where the magic happens. Because you're finding your path, you're finding your own way, your own individual uh, employment of the blade, or or actually understanding yourself 
and, and it, it stems more than just combatives. It stems more in, in life. So um, a lot of my students, they, they apply these philosophies. What I don't want is that you pick something out there. Uh, you pick an individual, you pick an image, and then you try to mimic that. You know, you try to be something that you're not. Uh, you try to learn a style that really, truly doesn't express who you are, you know, because some guys are type A personalities. Some guys are type B, uh, more passive. So your individuality should express who you are, right? So if I'm aggressive, I, I'm going to do better more towards the aggressive type of styles, you know, because the expression of who I am. Um, so you got to find your own path, man. Once you learn the philosophy, then you have to find your own path, right? So what you don't want to do is pick something out there. You know, uh, if, if you think about what's going on currently, you know, with, you know, like the media, right? So kids usually, you know, um, they, they really haven't found their individuality in life. They're just too young. They don't have the life experience. So they, they, they find role models. They find things out there. What you don't want to do is mimic it. You don't want to grow up and try to replicate something that's already there. You, then you'll never be an individual. you never find your, your way. And being different is, uh, is it's important, man. It's important to understand who you are and your correlation with the with the universe and in your relationship with humanity and life. Right. So that's what I kind of, I, I, I preach to. I was fortunate because I was a martial artist that went into to become a commando. And in my process of being a commando uh, and in the war, uh, I was able to employ what was once theory and employ it. Right. And understand that for me, you know, it worked for me. I was lethal, you know, and I employed it. So it's a lot uh, of inner understanding in, in, in yourself and uh, in the process that, you know, continuous growth. So, Sue, you got um, you got some blades in the works. Um, I, I believe you posted you might have posted about it a couple of times on social media. Um you know, you, you have a large following across your social media platform, your website, and, you know, a lot of people know about your company. And I'm, I'm going to assume that a lot of people are really anticipating these blades. Um, can you give any information on, uh, like, when people can expect them to go up or anything like that? Yeah, so if you look at my blades, it's an evolution, right? It's an evolution and it's a capability. So when when you pick up a blade right um you can kill somebody with a butter knife um you can kill somebody with a tactical 500 dollars blade right um is your employment the blade but the blade like anything else like a weapon an optic it enhances your capability right so it it, it evens out the playing field um so good case in point uh yeah i could kill you with a butter knife but I can probably kill you with more precision with a tactical knife that was, you know, designed for a certain purpose. Right. So understanding uh, a weapon system uh, for the purpose of what you're using it for. 
So with the evolution of my blades, the, the first blade uh, I went with the traditional uh, tanto tip. It was more of a piercing uh, capability, right? And it's a, it's it's actually a pretty interesting story and in how I arrived to the ring blades. I I, I kind of told you my background in uh, Zamboanga and uh, Basilian Island in the Philippines when I, I studied underneath uh, the Filipinos, but how I, I was really sold on the ring blades is, um, you know, when, when we were over in Iraq and there was a lot of close quarters, you know, you think about, you know, uh, when we go loud, shots are fired. Uh, we're killing and eliminating an enemy. We're trying to control the non-combatants. Uh, we're taking uh, sporadic fire from the, you know, exterior of the building, uh, assault still going on, uh, explosive breaching, flashbangs. So there's a lot of chaos, right? So, and you, you're hearing a lot of communications go through your comm system. So it's it's a lot to process in if um, if you're not used to that. And, well, in the process of doing this, uh, in, in the past, in Iraq, uh, guys were getting stabbed by their own blades. And uh, I remember a lot of civilians were like, how has that happened? Well, I just told you the chaos that's going on. It's uh, limited light. You're trying to control a a combatant or non-combatant, you don't know who they are, and they see a big tactical blade on your kit that's easily deployable. That's why you put on your kit, so you can hit them with a pummel position really rapidly. Well, they see a a handle to a big tactical blade. Uh, If you can employ it, they can can pull it from your kit and stab you in the face with it or stab you in the throat with it. Uh, So a traditional blade to me in traditional position – was a no-go because, you know, you need to learn from mistakes, other people's mistakes. You need to develop yourself every single day. So I, I went back to my study in the Philippines and uh, in Indonesia, and um, I knew that there was a uh, there was a Spartan blade out there, um, the CQB dagger designed by Greg Thompson, a uh, phenomenal hand-to-hand combat guy. But when he developed that, uh, the the CQB tool is a dagger, right? Very clean. And it's a very short get-off-me tool. And the purpose of it is just that, is to get off me, right? And I do carry that on my kit. But I also carry a, a, a killing blade on my kit, too. It has more punch, more lethality, and the steel is made with D2 steel. So it's, it punches through skull, bone, and it will shatter. Um so I wanted something that was a little bit more streamlined, right, than uh, than the big blades. So um, during the tail end of my career, I was uh, protecting the president overseas, and there were certain areas that you can't uh, bring weapons into. So I would carry the blade, right? So um, I, I designed this this uh, this blade uh, a while ago, but through the help of one of my friends, Robert, the, the guy that you met, he uh, he kind of helped me finalize the design and it became what was the, the Ronin Tanto and Tanto in, in Japanese means uh, short blade. Right. So, uh, I wanted something that was concealable. Uh, it had a ring to it. Uh, I could still shoot, uh, with my pistol if I need to employ uh, a firearm when I'm, when I'm working on a, a, a combatant with a blade, 
And uh, I needed something that moves in my hand like the way I move, right? The way that I move when it comes to be being fluid. So that's where that Ronin uh, Tanto blade came out. But then in the process, that Ronin blade, it was a piercer. So it was made to pierce through soft tissue. Uh, it was made to hit skull and shatter skull, break chip, chip bone. Uh, but it wasn't really a cutting tool. Right. It was really, uh, you know, made to to hit precision shots on a person and bleed them out. So I came up with a new design called a Sakura uh, blade, which I'm releasing the blade um, next week. And I'm just letting you know, if you really want this blade, then, um, you know, when, when it gets released, um, don't don't hesitate, you know, go ahead and get it because. Not that I'm trying to sell this blade, it's just because the last batch uh, of blades, I made 250 and they were sold out in eight hours before they even wow. hit the internet. Because there's a fighting methodology <clears throat> behind the blade. It's not just a blade. You can't just go out and, you know, pick up the ring blade and go, okay, this is, this, this will, you know, this work. A lot of blades are not made for that. A lot of knife designers are not uh, fighters, you know what I mean? Um, they're knife designers, and you, you can kind of tell with their uh, design and their tool. There's got to be a purpose to every tool. And the Sakura is due to release next week, and Sakura is more of a slashing cutting blade. It's actually made out of surgical steel. So it's, it's going to cut like butter through a person. And um, it was made by uh, in collaboration with uh, Spartan Blades, uh, who won – uh, my friend Curtis, he, he's he's one of the uh, the founders of Spartan Blaze. He's he um, he won uh, their company one knife of the year on that recent uh, blade show. Uh, they make high end blades, and, uh, and and you know Curtis and I we have history. He was a sniper when I when I first came to Okinawa, uh, and and went to the SIF as a young assaulter. He was a senior sniper on the team, and it's just funny how everything goes full circle. Um, so he helped design the Sakura blade. This is a Sakura in, in, in Japanese means cherry blossom. Um, the cherry blossom has, uh, a lot of history and symbology, uh, to the samurai and the warrior class within Japan. Uh, the cherry blossom was viewed as life itself. It was a seasonal flower, uh, that was short lived, you know, um, so the samurais viewed this, uh, the, the cherry blossom as life. It's beautiful, but short-lived. And a cherry blossom that fell before its time was a warrior that fell before its time. So uh, in, in the, a lot of my uh, weapons and philosophy and stuff, I, I derive a lot from uh, Eastern philosophy and history. So the Sakura blade has a lot of history and there's uh you know what i mean so it is a lot of history that goes into that blade the employment of the blade and lethality of how i'm uh in the way i process and move things and that blade was really designed for uh my fighting mythology and how i'm going to teach the employment of a blade to a student and you know i'm glad you brought that up about uh the design you know about why you chose to to have this ring blade and the design that you chose and 
And just that people who are interested in buying knives should understand that there is a difference between a knife fighter or a martial artist who is designing a blade versus a guy who's just designing a blade. And and I, what I notice is with the ring blade, you have a lot more maneuverability. Uh, you know, watching you work it, you know, you're, you're flipping the blade in between your fingers. And, you know, I could imagine, you know, if I'm squaring off with you and you have that blade, you know, it's very hard to see it if you're moving it so quickly. Now, if you have like a regular kind of more traditional blade with a, uh, I don't know exactly what the grip would be called, but something like a, you know, like a traditional grip, uh, you don't have that same maneuverability. And uh, I'm glad that you brought that up and you made the distinguishing difference uh, between it. And, um, you know, I saw a picture of the blades uh, and they look very good. So, you know, like Sue said, not to just try and sell his stuff, but, you know, the blades are very good and they're going to go quickly. So if you want them, you know, make sure that that you're on it. Um, so, too, where where can people get these blades on your website, right? Yeah, so I um, I usually release stuff. Um, you know, I, I, you know, announce my releasement of a lot of things on social media. Uh, it will be on sale um, once I get them in and. And uh, I'll, I'll post them on the website at www.runningtactics.com. Uh, and I'll actually make my own section uh, of um, weapons um, because in the future, you know, we're going to release uh, the Sante Tomahawks, um, other different type of blades. Uh, there's going to be a release of uh, what's called a Delta Blade. The Delta Blade is actually symbolizes the, uh, the triangle of Salat. And, and how you move off center line and your fluidity uh, in your uh, in your uh, relationship to your opponent. So uh, the Delta Blade is going to be released. It's a little bit more of a, a tactical CQB blade. It's going to be made out of D2 steel. And uh, I, I actually went off of the kind of like the concept of, uh, you know, the Viking concept is that, you know, they had these big, uh, you know, swords. It was rusty and dull. But the, the, the steel was so hard that when it hit something, it would break and shatter the bone. And uh, it, you look at, you know, if you read on history or you, uh, you study a lot of that stuff, you could see the, uh, the wounds uh, to opponent that inflicted by just, um, you know, looking at the, the bones. Um, but then I went with also a balance between uh, the samurais. So we wanted something that was razor sharp, uh, something that can cut. Uh, through things, you know what I mean? And uh, we cut with precision. And when you hit them in a pummel or a pick, that it hits with precision. Uh, it hits at the pinpoint location. Because a lot of times we we, we hit underneath the armpit. Um, and that is pretty much their death blow. They're going to bleed out um, if they don't try to close that wound, which is kind of hard because, um, you know, you kind of see me employed blade. I I hit you at different angles, but it's like a boxer, right? So it's a concept of a boxer. I'm going to move regardless of what you do. I'm going to hit you with a volume of attacks. And even if I hit you with the first attack and it, it, it pierces you and it's going to kill you, I'm going to it, the angle of attack number two is going to come and number three and number four um, until I get the response I want from my uh, opponent. Right. So. So once again, and for people who want to sign up, they can still do so 
just go to RonaTactics.com and then you ha- he has a, a training section in the menu, in the drop-down menu. And if you scroll down, you'll, you'll see the information for August 6th, August 7th. August 6th will be in New Jersey at uh, CrossFit Giant in Edgewater, New Jersey. And then August 7th will be at Brooklyn Athletic Club in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, it's it's right across the river from Man- from Lower Manhattan. So, you know, anybody in the in the New York City area, uh, Brooklyn might be closer for you. Um, anyone in the tri-state area, New Jersey, Connecticut, New Jersey will be closer for you. So, um, you know, at the, uh, on the podcast notes, which I, is where I post the links for the episode on my website, I'll have the links that will take you directly to Tu's uh, website where you can sign up for the classes. Um, it, you know, John, and, and I want to add this, too, is that, um, you know, we're, we're going to be traveling into town and uh, I'm going to stay roughly two days. But if you want the class, don't hesitate to sign up. The reason why I'm saying that is the dojo uh, has limited space. So, uh, you know, right now, you know, we're looking pretty good on, on slots. I'm trying to I'm trying to fill these slots so I can get more of um, the audience and, and to teach more of a group. But there's going to be a time where I have to close off the, the seminars and sessions. So if you want to attend right now, it's the time to to get online and, and go ahead and enroll because there's going to be a time where I'm going to close off the sessions. Yeah. So, you know, be sure to do that, um, too. Can you drop your social media handles for the listeners who want to check you out? Yeah, absolutely. You can um, log into my website at www.ronintactics.com. You can follow me on Facebook uh, and Instagram uh, at ronintactics.com. All right, cool, man. So it was great talking with you. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, you know, I'll see you in two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks for having me back on, and uh, it was great talking to you again, John. All right, brother. Peace. All right. It's always great talking to two and having him on because he has such a a large amount of experience. Uh, in fighting and training and hand-to-hand and blade. And, you know, one of the good things about, too, is that he's willing to share that experience and that knowledge uh, with the world, really. So, you know, with that, I'm going to conclude this episode. You can find my website is globalrecon.net. I'm on Facebook, FB Recon. I'm on Instagram. I have two different accounts. The first one is IG Recon. The second is Global Recon underscore Inc., uh, I'm on Twitter at IG Recon, and I'm also on LinkedIn. Just search Global Recon. Uh, we have a few good episodes planned for you guys, uh, so be on the lookout for that. And I'll see you in a couple of days. Peace. You see, actually, I do not teach, you know, karate because I do not believe in styles anymore. I mean, I do not believe that there is such thing as like Chinese way of fighting or the the Japanese way of fighting or whatever way of fighting because unless human beings have three arms and four legs we will have a different form of fighting Mm. but basically we have only two hands and two feet so styles tends to uh, 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 not only separate men, you know, because they have their own doctrines and then the doctrine became the gospel truth, you know, that you cannot change, you know. And 
But if you do not have styles, if you just say, well, here, here I am, you know, as, as a human being, how can I express myself totally and completely? Now, that way, you won't create a style because style is a crystallization, you know, and that way, it's a process of continuing growth.